Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Chelsea Green performs a virtual concert this weekend at Prince George's Community College in Maryland. I spoke with the acclaimed violinist about her journey from child prodigy to national TV. Thanks so much for having me, Jason. Now, I have so much we want to talk to you, but let's start with the actual event itself. It's such a beautiful venue, and that's actually how this came to be, I was very honored to perform their grand opening weekend. My ensemble, Chelsea Green and the Green Project, opened for Avery Sunshine. And uh, we did a performance that evening. And it was a beautiful event. And we were going to do a follow-up event in that next upcoming season with the Prince George's Philharmonic. That upcoming season just happened to be the pandemic. So we, we had to push back the concert. So here we are. So we're very excited to finally be able to present this concert virtually on May 22nd. What will we hear? You know, um, what do I, I hate to call it a set list, but you know, you know what I mean? What, what are we expecting here? <laughs> well, it is going to be a very eclectic set for that evening. We have some of my original songs that I've recorded as well as some arrangements that our ensemble has recorded for previously released projects. And they all have string arrangements so that we can perform them with the orchestra. And uh, there's, there's a surprise tune or two in there as well. So we hope everyone can tune in. Yeah, I mean, you're one of the, you know, best known um, violinists going today. So, I mean, when did you first get a violin placed in your hands? You know, what age were you and where were you? Because you grew up in like Houston, right? So tell me, tell me the roots of how you got into violin. Well, that's very kind of you to say. Thank you for saying that um, first. And yes, I did grow up with the instrument in my hands. So essentially in the womb, it was already predetermined that when I popped out, I'd be a violinist. So <laughs> you, could, you could press your ear up and you could hear violin coming from inside, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> so I grew up in a family of musicians uh, that played a variety of genres. And my mother really wanted a classical violinist to be in the bunch. And so I started taking violin lessons when I was four years old. And, you know, I was taking classical lessons, but my father is a very dynamically versed musician, jazz instrumentalist. And that was always in the house. He was always practicing in the home. And my grandfather is a musician. My uncle is a straight ahead jazzer. My grandmother was a classical vocalist. So just this immersion of all different styles and genres. And I played at church growing up. So, you know, as I feel like that violin was about as big as a, as a new age iPad. 
And I would get up there on stage and play Amazing Grace. And they would just, oh, baby, you just you just keep playing. You just do, do your thing. Um, and it was super supportive and encouraging. And I would take classical lessons. I would be in youth orchestra. I would, I took my dad's jazz, summer jazz workshop one summer. So I just kind of had a dose of everything growing up and it really allowed me to never put a label or a stereotype on one genre or one instrument. That's so cool. Connect the dots of what brought you, you know, I know you came up and did some some uh, studying, some advanced studies in music up in, in our area. Remind our listeners that maybe somehow missed that whole story. Uh, what brought you up here to College Park and, and Hopkins and the like? Sure. So when I left undergraduate from University of Texas in Austin, I came to the Peabody Conservatory at Johns Hopkins University for my master's degree. And when I say, you know, Baltimore changed my life, there is really no better way to say it than that. I, in just my studies at Peabody transformed how I looked at being an artist completely and how I looked at developing my musicianship far, far, far beyond just studying how to play the viola well. And I would go to open mics. I would sit in with musicians. I would sit in with bands on violin. And, uh, you know, they would really push me to come out of the box and come out of the zone. And it was just so much fun. So when I finished my master's and ended up beginning my doctoral program at College Park, at University of Maryland in College Park, I started playing with go-go bands. And I'll never forget, I was playing with Northeast Groovers one night playing at the go-go awards opening for Chuck Brown. And he said, Baby girl, if you can't make that violin go-go, then we got something to work with. I said, you know what? I feel like this is a charge that I cannot miss. So <laughs> I, I really had a lot of fun playing with go-go bands in the area. And just the vibrant live music scene on U Street was very transformative to my development as well. So it was just such a rich opportunity to be able to start my own ensemble in such a culturally and musically rich area as the DMV. Before we move on from that, from one terp to another, <laughs> what, what what was your campus hangout? What was your go-to spots? Were you like a McKeldin Library person? Or were, were, was it the, the student union? Was it the mall out there? Was it Comcast Center or whatever they call it now? <laughs> what, you know what, what? What? Memories of Maryland. <laughs> Mem- memories of Maryland. That is so funny that you say that because I was really really in the Clarice pretty much all the time truly I was I was in them I was in the music building all the time either in the practice rooms or doing some sort of study group because whoo the exams the exams oh goodness the the exams shout out to everyone who just graduated from college congratulations to to, to yeah, everyone that's no joke <laughs> it's not all right, cool. So, um, but then, so after all those studies, you can, you're officially, you know, we have to call you Dr. Green now. So <laughs> um, tell me how cool was it that you got appointed, uh, I think you're a, an associate professor um, for the string department at Berkeley College of Music. And uh, how cool was that? It's been very fun. I mean, Berkeley College of Music is truly one of the, I mean, I feel like it's the most diverse and contemporary music conservatory 
that is in the world today. These students are, are literally coming in studying how to be part of this industry their first day of school. So we get to teach so many different varieties of styles and techniques. And it's just so fun, the type of music that they're studying, the type of music that they're listening to. I tell you, they keep me on my toes. They keep me on my toes. So it's been a really fun experience. And I, I said you were an associate professor, but didn't you also get bumped up as the acting chair of the string department too? Uh, so yeah, so this semester I've been serving as the acting chair while our chair was on sabbatical. And it that has been quite an adventure. <laughs> so, so I definitely was, you know, I was still teaching as well. So it was, it was an adventure, but I tell you, again, I'm just so, so grateful to see how the faculty administration and how the students just pushed through this challenging year uh, and made it to, to the end of the semester. I'm so proud of everyone. Yeah. How rewarding is that to give back to kids? Because gosh, you're sitting there playing, you're soloing at Carnegie Hall at like age 16. So you probably see a lot of yourself in those kids. You, you know what it was like to be their age. I mean, granted, they're not all like freaking prodigies like you at 16, right. but you know what I mean? Like, it must be nice to get back because you remember being in their shoes. It, it truly is such a blessing, especially as a young Black woman, to be able to be a professor in a string department at a music conservatory in America, I, I certainly don't take that lightly because there are not many Black women professors at, at music conservatories, at music, in, in music programs at the university level. So it's certainly something that I am very, very honored to do. I feel like it is a responsibility to show up and to be the the best version of myself every single day for these students because I want students regardless of ethnic background regardless of, of gender just I want them to know that anything is possible anything is tangible when you like put the focus and discipline behind it and really work to succeed uh, you know, you can really accomplish your goals. And I tell them all the time, you know, you're this industry and this life is going to take you through so many twists and, and turns that you want to just make sure that you're equipped to handle everything or as, as much as you can, as best you can. So uh, my mantra for them is all we can do in life is plan to make plans. So let's plan accordingly. Uh, and And I really, really appreciate their dedication to stepping up to the plate. It's It's been quite an honor. And this spring actually was my first class. Like I came in with the kids that graduated this year. So I was very emotional as this is my, uh, this, this was, this makes almost four years that I've been at Berkeley. So. Wow. Yeah. To actually see one, you know, specific class move all the yeah. way through from freshman yeah. to graduation. That's got to be <laughs> special. Well, I mentioned, I mentioned it really quick, but let me double back on it really to it real fast. Um, when, when you're 16 and you're stepping out on that Carnegie Hall stage, I mean, to play somewhere so esteemed and prestigious, I mean, what's going through your mind? Are you nervous? Or, I mean, at the, or at that point, are you just like, I got this? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at when I was playing, 
I was absolutely nervous. I was like, you better not miss one note. You better just stay focused on this fingerboard and nail every shift, nail every bow crossing. I was being really hard on myself. When I came off the stage, I was an absolute mess, like bawling, just, oh, I can't believe that just happened in such a historic place. And my mother and dad were like, listen, we need you to calm down a little bit. Yes, yes, you just did it. And they were so supportive. I had a lot of family that flew up for the for the event and it, it just, it hit me after the fact. So I was extremely, I, I was extremely nervous in, in the moment for sure. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So that's, yeah, but you're telling your, your parents are probably like, Hey, remember you were doing this since the womb. You got this. <laughs> <laughs> um, as we've aforementioned. Um, so, I mean, so playing Carnegie Hall in a crazy space like that is one thing, but then all then to go do a national television is another. So what was it like? Um, God, you've played so many things, but I'll throw out a couple. I mean, the doing this, the late show on CBS. I mean, memories of that. Oh, absolutely. The one of the biggest memories that I have is how cold it was in that studio. Oh, my goodness. It was freezing. And you have to act very much like it is not <laughs> and and play your acoustic instrument with as much poise as possible so that in particular i remember just how cold it was and we i remember between takes would rub we'd, we'd like hurry up and find somewhere to put our instrument down so we could just rub our hands together to keep them as warm as possible. But of course, when the taping starts, the, the adrenaline helps to keep you warm. So that was a super fun night. Oh, studio audiences. I remember the time. Oh, how, how quaint and naive we all were. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, nice. And, and was Letterman cool to work with? What, did he actually you know, hang out with the musical performer? We didn't really hang, but he definitely did come over to say hello and thank us for being there. He was a really friendly, a friendly, friendly guy. And it was nice for him to just co come over and say hi between takes. Sure. Um, all right. Well, maybe time for one more, but playing the Grammys, the 60s, it was the 62nd annual one is when you were playing. Um, yes. Man, uh, just memories of being on that stage. Again, what a quaint idea of in front of an actual big audience in that case. But, um, you're, you know, you're televised around the world. I mean, how cool was that? It was just, that was such a watermark moment um, because so much was happening in that moment. That day, Kobe and his daughter and everyone on the plane had had just unfortunately passed. Oh, that's right. And, that was that. That was that day. You're right. It was that day, and we were in the Staples Center, and we were performing with Lizzo, and she was opening the show. So it was this incredible sense of heaviness that was felt everywhere through the entire arena, and the only thing that was illuminated were his jerseys. Mm. above and that was that was our I I shot like you just looked straight up and saw that and it was just this moment of you know you're you are in this house he it was his house and so it was kind of all the moments of I cannot believe I'm playing at the Grammys Lizzo is such an incredibly warm 
person, just such a good person and just a phenomenally incredible flautist and musician that's so committed to the integrity of the musicianship and just how the performance comes together. She is literally, she, she talked to every single person individually involved in that night during our rehearsals and everything, just such a warm and sweet person. So it was all these emotions at the same time and us wanting to perform our very best to support her in that moment. So it was overwhelming, but in, in a very peaceful way of strength, like show up and be the best that you can be to represent in this moment for so many different things. Wow, that's, that's wild that sort of, yeah. fate and history and everything would have it that that your big moment there on the stage would happen to coincide with such yeah. a tragic event and you guys I mean you helped us all through it that night I remember it well so cool thank you for that before we go you know the all-important question I have to ask um why is the violin and and the viola I guess I gotta throw that in there too why are they the best instruments that mankind's ever invented I know <laughs> you're biased and I'm keying it up as such but I want to hear why you you know, pulling the bow across those strings. Why is that, you know, the closest connection to God we got? <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. You know, I think it's something about the warmth and the timbre of the strings for me. Truly, that's why I started playing. It's part of the reason that hooked me to the viola. The more I dug in, I said, you know, this kind of sounds like my voice a little bit because it was this alto range. It was this more raspy situation. I said, oh, I, can, I can get with this because when I was younger, my mother would always help me from the bullies that would talk about the depth of my voice at in elementary school. She would always have some music on by some dynamic vocalist that had a voice part similar to mine. So we, I, I would get in the car and it would be a Jesse Norman day or it would be a Tony Braxton day or it would be a, an Anita Baker day. And, and I just remember associating the sound of the viola with that timbre and it, it, it gave me such nostalgia and uh, human connection. So I feel like it's strings that really pull that vocal quality in and help the voice have another vessel. So I, I always pray that I'm using my voice through my instrument. Awesome. That's a perfect place to leave it. Um, well, thanks so much for joining us. I, I really appreciate, you know, taking us through your whole life's journey and uh, all the way up to the latest and greatest stop on that journey, which is going to be Saturday, May 22nd, 730 p.m. at Prince George's Community College. Hey, thank you so much. This is awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Jason. It's so, so great to chat with you. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time.
I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.